welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Palmwood Podcast. Well, we're making our way through the stanzas of the Apostles' Creed in our current study, Know What You Believe. And today we come to the very heart of the Christian faith itself. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. You would think that the idea of forgiveness would be pretty straightforward for Christians today, wouldn't you? But it's not. In fact, forgiveness can be one of the most misunderstood tenets of the Christian faith. In today's segment, I try to give a pretty thorough definition of what we mean by forgiveness. And then I go on to talk about how that forgiveness is applied through our life and our witness. I hope you find it a practical approach. This morning's scripture reading comes from Psalm 103, probably my favorite psalm out of the, all of them. Uh, for a number of reasons, and some of those I'm going to actually talk about today. Um, Psalm 103, verses 1 through 14. And today, we're going to read from the New Living Translation. So it might sound just a little bit different, especially those of you that grew up on the King James. It might sound just a little bit different than you're used to, but it's good. It's good. Let all that I am praise the Lord. With my whole heart, I will praise his holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he has done for me. He forgives all my sins and heals all my diseases. He redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. He fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry, and filled with unfailing love. He will not constantly accuse us, nor remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us, as we deserve. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father to his children, tender and compassionate to those who fear him. For he knows how weak we are. He remembers we are only dust. Oh, amen. Amen. So, over the last few weeks, we have spent time in this last section of the Apostles' Creed. We're using the Apostles' Creed as our framework for our study through the, 
the key doctrines of the faith. We're calling it Know What You Believe. Um, the last few weeks, we've, we've looked at the church. Uh, we first looked at the church universal, that the church is made up of people from every tribe, every nation, every language, every people group. And then the flip side of that coin, we, we looked at the church being the communion of the saints, that the church is made up of every person who had faith looking forward or looking backward to the Messiah, past, present, and future of all, for all time. And that all these people of all these ethnicities and all these people of all these eras are one, perfectly united in Jesus Christ. That there is no division. Oh, we, we aren't, to use a word that I heard in a conversation this past week, we aren't colorblind. Um, we celebrate the, the distinctives of ethnicity and language and, and perspective. They aren't a threat to us. That all those things brought together make us this beautiful whole we could not be without each other. And the reason I, I bring this up as we, we get ready for our sermon today is I, I have a, a concern as a pastor, and this is not just with, with these messages, but it's every Sunday. I have a concern that way too many Christians in North America, um, they're sermon shopping. They get a nice message. It's neatly packaged. They listen to it. They think about it a little bit during the week, and then they put it on the shelf so they can go on to the next message the next week. And I don't want that to happen in this series. God's timing of the, the message on the universal church and the communion of the saints over the last few weeks was something we could not have orchestrated on our own. There's no way we could have done that. Those topics are way too important for us just to now put on a shelf because we're going on to the next topic. And so I would just ask you, how has what you've learned over the last few weeks, how has it changed the conversation for you? How has it stopped you long enough in your tracks to pay attention to what it means to live those things out. Don't let it slip away because we're going on to a new topic, an important topic, a different topic, but one that needs to be brought in together with those that have gone before. Don't let it slip away. Today, we're going to talk about the heart of the Christian faith. Today we're going to talk about the heart of the Christian message. I believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I got to tell you, I really do. In a very real way, I am standing here today not just because of the forgiveness of sins because I'm a believer in Jesus, although I am. I'm standing here today because I have literally set my entire life and career on what we're going to talk about today. The forgiveness of sins is the pivotal point, the pivotal topic of the entire Christian faith. It's why Jesus went to the cross of Calvary, was to get us forgiveness for our sins. And today we're going to talk about what that means. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, by your Holy Spirit right now, stir us. As I've prayed this morning, Lord, I've had this picture of a campfire where the embers are starting to turn black and cool down and 
Somebody can take a poker and stir them around and there's sparks and there's some glowing embers and all of a sudden over in one spot a little flame pops back up and another little flame pops back up and then you throw some fresh wood on and all of a sudden you've got a roaring fire once again. Holy Spirit, stir us like that. Don't let us just go through the Sunday morning motions today. Stir our hearts with respect to all the different critical things we have talked about in this series over the last few months. Remind us of what it means to say, I believe. Remind us of of all we said about God the Father, Almighty. Remind us of, of everything we said about God the Son. Remind us about what we're saying about God the Holy Spirit. Stir those embers, Spirit, in our hearts so that the flame of faith roars within us and we can be used by you to ignite others with the good news. Holy Spirit, be our teacher and our guide today as we look at this central truth, forgiveness. Holy Spirit, anoint me as the teacher. Anoint everyone who is, whether they're here in the room right now with me or they're watching over the live feed or later on even as they watch the recording. Anoint us all toward faithful obedience. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Forgiveness. It is the heart of the Christian faith. It is the center of everything we believe. It is really the the driving message of the gospel, really, when it comes down to it, because without forgiveness, none of us are anything, really, from a human standpoint. The problem is, is forgiveness really is tremendously misunderstood today. You would think it's a pretty easy thing to understand, but it's not. A lot of people get this wrong. Saying, I'm sorry, is not really a part of the forgiveness process. Not that you can't have sorrow leading up to forgiveness. You can. Uh, Paul says that godly sorrow actually leads us to repentance, and that's the first step in the forgiveness process. But simply saying, I'm sorry, or, or, you know, if somebody says, I'm sorry to me, ah, that's all right. That's not forgiveness. That's not forgiveness. That's not what we're talking about with respect to forgiveness. Forgiveness also is not just excusing a wrong that somebody does. Uh, Forgiveness actually holds people accountable. It seems funny, but it is. It really does, and we're going to talk about how that happens today. Biblically, there are many different beautiful aspects of this thing that we call forgiveness. Today, we're going to take a look at five of them to help us understand what we really mean. The first thing that we learn about forgiveness is that forgiveness is pardon. Pardon. What an incredibly beautiful word. Pardon is releasing us from legal consequences. Uh, Those consequences that are dictated formally by the law. 
pardon is the legal component. Because of the blood of Jesus Christ, you and I, in Christ, are released from the required penalties of the law. Listen to the prophet Micah as he foretells about the pardon of God. Who is like, who is a God like you, says Micah, who pardons sin and forgives the transgression, the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but you delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion upon us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. You will be true to Jacob and show mercy to Abraham as you pledge an oath to our fathers in days long ago. Pardon. The second thing, another facet of this beautiful gem called forgiveness, is absolution. Absolution. Releasing us from guilt. This is, this is huge. Because of the blood of Christ, friends, you and I are released from our guilt. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. So let me, let me paint the picture for you. Up until the point where Jesus is baptized in the Jordan River, the, the forgiveness process for sin under the old covenant, the sacrificial system, is that a, a lamb would be sacrificed season after season after season, and the blood of that sacrificial lamb would be sprinkled on what's called the mercy seat in the tabernacle or then in the temple. The, the, the blood of the lamb would be sprinkled on the mercy seat, which is the throne of God, to cover the sins of the people. And it's, it's the, the image is almost that, that there's a sin layer and there's a blood layer that covers it and hides it from God. There's a sin layer and then there's another layer of blood that covers it. And so layer after layer after layer, the blood covers the sin, but it never really takes it away in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament era. And so the writer of Hebrews tells us that that, that process, that sacrificial process had to be repeated year after year after year because it never really took the sin away. But now, fast forward, Jesus is in his early 30s, and he's coming to his cousin John the Baptist to be baptized so that all righteous requirements of the law would be met. And Jesus comes down the hillside there at the Jordan River where John the Baptist is baptizing people for repentance of sin. And as Jesus comes down the hill and into the water to be baptized, John the Baptist looks at him and he points everybody to him and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist recognized Jesus as the Messiah, that Jesus would be the ultimate sacrifice once and for all that would no longer cover our sins, but literally would take them away. It's absolution, friends. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross of Calvary takes our sins away. They're gone. They are dealt with. We are no longer guilty. The promise of 1 John 1.9 that we keep talking about month after month after month in this church because it is so important, is so critical to us. John says in his first letter to the church, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, speaking of Jesus, he is faithful 
and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Every time you and I blow it and we go back to the Father again in confession, we are absolved all over again. Our guilt is taken away. It's gone. Third is clemency. Granting mercy where punishment has actually been levied. The sentence has been stated. We are sentenced to death because of our sin. But God is merciful because of the blood of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty for our sins. We no longer have to endure. We no longer have to fear that punishment. We no longer have to worry about the wrath of God. Christ has taken it for us. And all of those, everyone who has surrendered to him has received clemency for their sentence. Clemency. Their death sentence has been removed. Paul writes to the Christians at Rome, what shall we say then? Is God unjust? Not at all. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. It does not therefore depend on man's desire or effort, listen, but on God's mercy. Clemency. And then remission. Remission, we talk about disease being in remission, but the, the actual definition of this term remission is to cancel a debt. <laughs> it's to cancel a debt. Our sin debt to God has been canceled because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have been made alive with Jesus. We have been forgiven. And all the powers of hell that are arrayed against us have been disarmed by our Savior in that forgiveness. Paul writes, in Colossians 2, verses 13 through 15, when you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with all of its regulations that was against us and stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed all the powers and authorities, all the evil entities of hell itself, disarmed. He made a spectacle of them publicly, triumphing over them by the cross. Remission. The debt's been paid. And finally, reconciliation. Restoring a relationship. This is the one we focus on the most, harmony with God. This is the restoration of our covenant relationship with our Heavenly Father. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross paved the way. His broken body shows us that he took the penalty for our sin and he endured the cross for you and me. His shed blood cut a brand new covenant with God, establishing a forever relationship with God that cannot be broken. Forgiveness is all of these things simultaneously, all at the same time. When God says, I forgive you, he means all of this, all together. Simultaneously, pardon, absolution, clemency, remission, reconciliation, and all of this is ours as God forgives our sins by the blood of Christ. This is the biblical doctrine of forgiveness, and it's found in Christ's atoning work on the cross. So, 
Great, there's the definition. What does it mean for us? Well, let's talk about forgiveness applied. We need to begin by saying all forgiveness begins with God. Forgiveness is God's idea. Forgiveness is God's plan. And so we need to learn something about our forgiving God. God has many attributes. Uh, We've looked at a lot of these attributes over the years here at Palmwood Church. Um, If you're interested in knowing more, uh, you can go back to last year, go back in the sermon feed on our website to last year and look at the the whole uh, sermon series we did on worship, true worshipers. Um, There's a, a section near the beginning where we actually talk about the attributes of God and how that drives us to worship him. The attributes of God, the, the traits of God are really important. It tells us how, who God is and how God is. Most of those attributes actually play a part in the redemptive work of Christ. For our purposes today, I want to just look at three. The first one is that God is love. God is love. Now, I want to be clear because this is something that we have to grasp if we're going to get what I'm saying about God being love. I am not saying that God is loving. God is loving, but that's not what I'm saying here. If we default to the statement that God is a loving God, we actually are describing him something less than he actually is. Because it's not that God is loving, it's that God actually is love itself. God is actually the source of all love. It is his nature. And so God is a loving God because God, by nature, actually is love. All love comes from God. Hear me. All love comes from God. Even the love that people have for one another that don't know him yet finds its source in him. Because all love comes from God. God is the essence of love. It is because of his love that he created creation. It is because of his love that he created mankind. Because he wanted to share his love. In fact, the Bible in one place says he wanted to lavish. How's that for a word? His love. It's because of his boundless love that he established a plan then to save humanity when we sinned. Listen again to 1 John 4, verses 7 through 10. This comes from the New Living Translation. Dear friends, let us continue to love one another, for love comes from God. Anyone who loves is a child of God and knows God. But anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God showed how much he loved us by sending his one and only son into the world so that we might have eternal life through him. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. God is love. But God is also just. And herein is where we run into a problem, friends. God is not only perfectly just, he is the essence of all true justice. Just as God is the essence of love, God 
is the essence of justice in and of himself. He's not just a just God. He is justice. Justice demands what is right. God requires righteousness. God requires right behavior, right treatment of other people. But sin has ruined all of that. So let me just ask you, friends, how are you doing on this? <laughs> how are you doing being a righteous person 24-7? How are you doing? None of us is doing well with that. God cannot neglect justice or God would no longer be God. Let that sink in. God cannot neglect justice. It's his nature. So if he neglected it, he would no longer be who he is. God must satisfy his love, but at the same time, God must satisfy his justice. Which leaves us in a quandary. <laughs> how do you do that? How is that going to work? How can, how can God be an infinitely loving God and an infinitely just God at the same time in the presence of sin? How can he do that? And that's where we come to our third attribute. Mercy. Mercy. God is merciful. God doesn't just act with mercy like the others. He actually is the very source of mercy. God is mercy. He is merciful. In his love, God desires a covenant relationship with us that has no hindrances whatsoever. None. But because of sin, our God desires complete and righteous justice against us. Can you see the position that puts God in? Sin must be punished. Sin must be dealt with. God cannot look the other way and still be just. He can't. He has to punish the sin. But he can't go against his love nature. You see the position that we as humanity have put God in. And so God, in mercy, stepped in and took our punishment. Boy, that is mercy. He loved us so much, he gave his only son. That's love. And if you have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, then listen to me. God's justice poured out on Jesus means that God's justice is not poured out on you. Let me say that again. If you have surrendered to Jesus as Lord, if you have surrendered to Jesus as Savior, if you have given your life over to him as Master, if you have subjected yourself to him as your King, then listen to me, God is not mad at you. He is not out to get you. He is not out to punish you. His wrath is not going to be poured out on you in any way. It was already settled for you at the cross. God is a loving God. He wants a relationship with you. God is a just God. He has to punish your sin. God is a merciful God. 
Jesus stepped in and took your penalty and my penalty so that we could be set free. Forgiveness begins with God. We are in the section of the creed on the Holy Spirit, and that makes total sense. You know, we confess our sins to the Father. Jesus taught us to do that in Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. Forgiveness is the work of the Son at the cross of Calvary. We know that. Ephesus, I mean, Ephesians 1, verse 7, and Colossians 1, verses 13 and 14. But, hear me now, it is the Holy Spirit, friends, that works in us to reveal to us our need for for forgiveness, for for conviction of our sin, and that we would pursue in repentance and forgiveness the, the restoration that Jesus offers. Jesus, in John chapter 16, says the following, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I go... I will send him to you. And when he comes, listen now, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. It is the Father who forgives. It is the Son's sacrifice that makes it possible. It is the Holy Spirit that woos us to receive it. And so it makes perfect sense that I believe in the forgiveness of sins, would fall in the Holy Spirit section of the Apostles' Creed. Our triune God is fully involved, but it's the Holy Spirit's connection with us that draws us into God's forgiveness. Forgiveness comes with repentance. Listen, this is is absolutely critical. There can be no forgiveness without repentance. Let me repeat that. There can be no forgiveness without repentance. We've said it. Repentance is not saying I'm sorry. It can be preceded by sorrow. I'm not saying that, that I'm sorry is, is not part of the process, but in and of itself, it's way insufficient for what we need. Repentance is a change. It's a change of mind. It is a change of life direction. Repentance is turning from something to something. Repentance is turning from our sinful ways and turning to Jesus as Savior. Forgiveness brings justification. Justification is God's legal and permanent declaration that he finds us righteous in Jesus Christ. When God forgives us, we are also justified in Christ. Um, So years ago, I started giving an illustration that um, we found to be very helpful in talking about this idea of of justification. And uh, it uses the old board game, Password. (laughs) I don't know uh, how many of you remember the TV show Password with Alan Ludden, that's Betty White's husband from years ago. But um, the illustration is this. In, in the game of Password, you have this little blue plastic envelope, and, and you're given the cards that actually have the passwords on them. But if you look, I don't know if you can see it on the camera, the, the, the actual passwords are in light blue, and they're covered up with the password logo over and over and over again. You can't see the actual words. But with this special envelope... It has a red cellophane window. You see that there, the little red cellophane window. 
when you slide the card down behind the red cellophane window, the red ink of the password logo is washed away. It's blotted out, and all you see is the actual word itself. The cellophane window makes it possible to see the real word. And the illustration is this. This is what justification means, friends, is that when we are standing, when we are living behind the curtain of Christ's blood, it washes out our sin. And God only sees the real us made righteous in Jesus. Forgiveness brings justification. He declares us righteous because that's all he sees by the blood of Jesus. Forgiveness also brings redemption. Redemption is literally Jesus buying us back, redeeming us, paying our ransom with his sacrifice at Calvary. When God forgives us, we are also fully and completely redeemed. We are brought back. We are his children again. You and I are ransomed and brought home. Forgiveness is the product of Christ's atonement. Making more than just reparations for sin, Christ makes it real again. We've talked about this word atonement a couple of times during this series, the old English word at one taking that which is shattered, that which is broken, that which is destroyed, and making it whole, making it one again. It sets everything back the way it was meant to be. Think about uh, Isaiah 53, the forbidden chapter that talks about what the Messiah would come and would do. He deals with our infirmities, our illnesses, our oppression. He deals with our sorrows and our anxieties. He deals with our transgressions, our sins, both those that are purposeful and those that we don't think about. He provides healing and deliverance. He moves us from life or from from death unto life. This is the stuff of Isaiah's prophecy about the coming Messiah. And that's why, friends, forgiveness is the heart of our message. Forgiveness is what Jesus took on human flesh to accomplish. Forgiveness is the heart of the Christian faith. Forgiveness is the reason for the cross. Forgiveness is the pivotal point of our Christian message and our Christian mission. That's why Paul said, You don't have a Christian mission without preaching the cross, preaching Jesus and him crucified. Finally, forgiveness is full. I told you my favorite psalm is Psalm 103, and I'm going to end where we began. I love that Psalm 103 says that he threw our sins for us, our forgiveness, he threw our sins from us as far as east is from west. I love that the lyrics of this worship chorus, this psalm, Psalm 103, don't say he threw our sins as far as north is from south. You know why? Because in the world in which we live, there are poles in the north and the south, meaning you travel north north to a certain point, you hit that pole, and guess what? Now you're going south. There are limits to north and south, but there are no limits to east and west. You can travel east forever, you can travel west forever, and east and west never meet. That's how far he's thrown our sins from us. That's how infinite is the total and complete full forgiveness God offers us in Jesus Christ.
all that we have said is wrapped up in this idea of forgiveness that God offers to us. All of it. Forgiveness is pardon. Forgiveness is absolution. Forgiveness is clemency. It's remission. It's reconciliation of our relationship with God. It begins with God. It is His idea. It does not begin with us. He has to take the first step toward us. We can't do that toward Him. Forgiveness is a a mysterious and miraculous act of God where God being put in an impossible position because of our sin does not compromise one iota of his character or his attributes to accomplish what he desires to accomplish to set us free. Forgiveness brings justification and redemption. Forgiveness, friends, is full. It is unlimited if we are in Jesus Christ. The forgiveness of sins. Oh, I believe it. I've staked my whole life and career on this doctrine. Quite literally. Can you agree with me that these truths are essential to the Christian faith? Let's pray. Jesus, help us understand what we do not yet understand about this doctrine. Jesus, help us walk in the freedom that is ours because of this doctrine. Jesus, if there are those in the gathered or the virtual congregation, those who listen to this message later, who are still feeling like they're under the wrath of God, but they're in Christ, set them free from that, helping them to realize God's not mad at us because all that was settled at the cross. We really are free. We really are free. Further, Jesus, as we begin to understand all these incredible nuances of the forgiveness that God gives us in your blood because of your sacrifice, because of our faith in you, because of our repentance, help us to turn around and tell others what we have learned so they too can be set free in Jesus Christ. And we simply say, make it so, Jesus. Use us. Send us. Help us to be fruitful in this endeavor. To your glory we pray. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.